job. Um, let's go ahead and uh, pray, and then uh, we're going to dig back into Luke. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day again. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask that you would guide and direct as we talk today. Lord, I pray that you'd open up the truths from this passage and the important ones that we need to walk away with this morning uh, for this very week. In your name I pray. I love you guys. It's good to see all of you. Um, I'm uh, going to try to plant two seeds of thought before we dig in. Okay, so two little ideas. I just want to plant them. One of them is a simple one. I think I can do. Um, the question is, who who is this? Okay, so that the question has come up already. Uh, we saw it just a few weeks ago. Luke chapter 8, the previous story of the calming of the storm. Jesus calms the storm. And the disciples afterwards, they look around and then what do they ask? You remember? I just told you. You can say it. Who is this? Who is this? You go back just a little bit further, we had John the Baptist. John the Baptist, where was John the Baptist in chapter 7? Prison. And John the Baptist is in there in prison, and he sends some messengers, some of his disciples out to talk to Jesus. He sends them out to ask Jesus basically the same question. Who are you? Are you the one, or is there another? Are you the one that we've been waiting for, or is there another one that's coming? Okay? So just looking at the book of Luke from just, I'm going to use the word literary perspective. Luke is writing this book. This question has been building. Right? Who is this since chapter 7? Who is this? Who is this? And now we're going to get to the answer of that question. We're almost at that halfway point, just the, the, the story of Luke, the way it's unfolded. We're almost at that halfway spot in Luke, and it's building to this thing. And so we've been in Luke long enough that we can really start to look at some of these overall big picture ideas. Who is this? Now, so remember I told you this is a, a seed of thought I'm trying to plant in your heads. This is a difficult one to plant because, see, you guys already know who he is. Who is he? Jesus. What's he going to do? Die on the cross for our sins. You know this. Okay? So to try to enter into that is very difficult to do. To really try to enter into that is, is not easy for you to do. So... The second seed of thought I want to try to plant into your minds has to do with trying to get you to, to enter into there. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I thought all the kinds of ways I could try to get you to do this, but I gave up all of them. And I thought, I'm just going to ask you to try to do this. Okay? Uh, I have an example. And I think that this, the attempt to try to do this actually helps with one of the applications for this passage. So let's, let's start the little, 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 little stir it up here a little bit. Have you, have you ever had God end up doing things different than the way you were expecting? <laughs> okay, see, I knew I would catch you with that, right? Yeah, all the time, right? Uh, there's things all the time where God is... Now, let me ask you this. Those of you who've been a Christian for a long time, a lot of times those things unfold and you look back and you go, this is way better than what I would have wanted. Amen. Right? This is way better than what I would have thought or dreamed of or wanted. I mean, it's not at all what I expected. And in some ways, I felt disappointed, but the disappointment led me to understand this grander picture that I wasn't even, I didn't even have a, a, the ability to grasp 
how good God was going to be to me. I think that that's part of the heart of what's going on here. Now, these disciples, we talk about this all the time, so this is not a new thought, but I, I want you to try to enter into this, okay? How, how easy would it be for me to, to take a long-held belief that you had, a religious belief based on the Bible, how easy would it be for me to take a long-held belief that you had and shift you off of it? Would that be an easy thing for me to do? Most of you, you'd probably say, no way. And you'd probably give yourself a pat on the back for saying no way, right? Because that's what we shouldn't be. Okay? So let's, let's take an example. Let's think about how, how you view the end times. Okay? Jesus came, he's coming back. Now, I am not at all, I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to give away my joke before I tell my story. My, my, my go-to phrase that I say when people talk about the end times is, well, I think I'm going to be up in the air until we're all up in the air. <laughs> right? Once we're all up in the air, I'm going to go, oh, this is how it's going to happen. But until that time, i got to be honest with you, I am not, now, and this is, this is weird for some of you because I'm telling you what, some of you grew up hearing, and you thought it was a gospel truth that this is the way it's going to unfold. <laughs> right? And, and 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 what's what's mind blowing about? And I'm not I'm not even getting I'm not getting I'm not talking about end times today. But I'm gonna tell you right now, the belief that most of you have held on to most of your lives is let, let me see. It probably goes something like this: at some point, Jesus is gonna come back and call it the what? Rapture. Shoot! He's gonna suck a bunch of us up there, right? Then how how much time is gonna pass? Seven years. Seven years. And then, and then during that time, there's a guy that's going to show up. Who's that guy? Antichrist. And he's going to do some terrible things. And then Jesus is going to come back again a third time. And then, did this sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Did you know that there's not a Christian on the planet that believed that until around the 1800s? You tell me they all got that wrong? And we just figured it out? I don't think so. It'd be interesting to go back and see what, what everybody else has thought about those things. Did you know there's actually, I believe, there's actually four different ways that you could look at the book of Revelation and interpret it, and they all four of them fall very easily into what is trustworthy, biblical understanding of what those texts mean. Okay? So, for me to come up here and try to shift you on that, is that going to be an easy thing? Probably not. Now, I'm introducing this idea because I'm going to tell you right now, nobody knew what Jesus was going to do when he came the first time. So if you're going to enter into the disciples' mindset, that's the closest example I can get is what if, what if, you're all, what if we're all completely wrong on how that, that second coming is going to come about? I, I kind of wonder if maybe we all are a little bit off. If not really off. And part of my thinking there is, I mean, look, look at these disciples. I'm going to give you a little bit of information here because I have, what, where am I going to go? There's, 
three loosely connected little events that happened, but in the bigger picture, Luke is just building up to this question. Who is Jesus? In the scheme of history, in the scheme of all time, who is he? Now, we know that they've been asking. We know John the Baptist has been asking. Let's go all the way to the top. The highest governmental officials in the area. Herod the Tetrarch ruled this purple here and here. He ruled both of these. Herod's father was King Herod from Jesus' birth time period. Herod the Great, he, Herod the Great actually ruled all of this. It got divided up. That's not important for our story. Interesting history. But Herod the Tetrarch was ruling these areas, these purple areas, and this is where they're at. Herod the Tetrarch was the one that had John the Baptist in prison. Okay? We're going to find out something else about John the Baptist here in just a second, but Jesus is now, at this point of our story, become popular enough and known enough that people are starting to say, who is he? What's he doing? Who is this guy? And he's significant. They're all on board with that. And so you read this story. This is captured. Luke captures this for us. How did he know this? I have no idea, but he's captured this for us. We know that Luke did a lot of interviewing of eyewitnesses, and so he must have talked to somebody that knew this, that this conversation happened. In fact, the other, Matthew and Mark, also share versions of this story about Herod himself, this king, trying to figure out who he is. And it says, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. He's like, what in the world is going on? And it says, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Which seems weird to us, because we're like, wait a minute, weren't John and Jesus really close to the same age? But you've got to understand, John had become popular and well-known long before Jesus had become well-known. So John, he's been locked up. He's dead now, which you're going to see here in just a second. He's dead now. And so everybody's saying, well, maybe this is John. Come back. And it, we're not living back here in the days of Twitter where there would have been pictures and like they go, oh, wait a minute, he, he was here before. No, that's not happening. So they're sitting here going, well, maybe this is who it is. And so some people go, he's John, come back from the dead. Some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Now this isn't nuts for them because just like you, they had some beliefs about the end times. Let's go back to Malachi, one of the last books of uh, the Old Testament, the prophet. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so just like you, when you start reading the news and start trying to piece together, ooh, maybe that's this thing, or maybe that's this thing, or maybe that's this thing. Ooh, I think it's happening, right? They were doing the same thing. And so what are they doing? Maybe this is Elijah. Remember Malachi talked about this, and they probably had a whole like conspiracy theory. Of course, it was all on chiseled stone, and they had, like, I tweeted something. It took a lot longer, you know, <laughs> right? Tweet it out there. It's Elijah. I think it's Elijah. I don't know. Do you think it's, I think it's Elijah. My mom thinks it's Elijah. I don't know about him. You know, what do you think? Some people, they, they go way back. Deuteronomy was a, one of the earliest prophecies after the time we talked about this in Sunday school, right? You're talking about this in Sunday school, that... That um, we had that first little tidbit of prophecy that God's going to send another one to, to crush the head of the serpent, right? We're going we're gonna to get those things. So we do something, but Mo Moses gives a little bit more information at the end of Deuteronomy, right near the end of his time. The people, he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him, it is to him you shall listen. Keep that like Moses, right? And so a lot of people are like, maybe this is 
another prophet, kind of like Moses. It's the same guy, maybe it's a different guy, maybe it's a different guy. You can just imagine all those theories going on there. there were, and there was all those different kinds of theories. Who is it? Is this prophet the same as that prophet? Who is it going to be? And so they're trying to figure it out. Herod then goes and says this. He says, Herod's opinion is this. John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. He wanted to see him, which we know before the story's over. He actually gets to see him near, near the end. Now, the story of John being beheaded, if you look in Mark, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 14 or Mark chapter 6, you get to hear that story of how John was beheaded. It's a horrendous story. John was in prison. Herod was having a party. I think it's his niece. This is his niece. I should have looked at this before I got up here. His sister's daughter. His sister's daughter. Anyway, they're having a party. She's dancing. Real bad pastor. Bad pastor. Um, she's dancing. Everybody's like, he's like, I'll give you whatever you want up to half your kingdom. So he goes, she goes, talks to her mom. Mom says, go ask for John about his head on a platter. And that's what she does. She comes back and he's grieved by it because he didn't want to kill John because people like John. But he's like, I've made this promise, I have to do it. And that's what he did. And we hear that his disciples were able to take his body and bury it, but the head, no. Horrendous story. John is gone. I imagine Herod was haunted by that reality. And we find from the other gospel accounts that Herod actually, that's what he thought. Here it says he was perplexed, but we know eventually he's, he's pretty convinced this is John, come back. That's what he's thinking. That's the first little piece of story. All the way at the top, people are trying to figure it out. Who is this? Now let's go to another story, okay? Now, the disciples had just been sent out. When they come back, remember, they had just been sent out to minister. So when they came back, the apostles told them all that they had done. So we get a little snippet here. We don't know a lot about their rehash and everything. I can imagine they sat around the fire and talked about what, oh, what we did this and this happened here. And we, we had all these different things going on. And they're Versing with Jesus about this first steps of ministry that they've done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And I think trying to get away to rest, to relax, to recuperate. But the crowds learn it. They figure out where he's at. Um, they follow him and he welcomed them instead of, which that's not probably not what I would have done. If I'm trying to get away to rest and a bunch of crowds follow me, which I don't really have that happen. But usually when you're trying to get away from people, then people show up. You're not very welcoming, are you? But Jesus is welcoming. He welcomed them anyway. And so he welcomes them and speaks to them of the kingdom of God. And, and he, the ones that were sick, he's curing those that need healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, Jesus, you need to send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For here we're in a desolate place. We're not close to anything. You need to send them away so they have time to get there. And he says, I think this is a great thing. The disciples are concerned about the people. And they, Jesus, I know you're teaching, you, you know, but you might want to, don't forget it. We're kind of far away, which seems odd to us that they'd have to think they should tell Jesus those kinds of things. But they, they do. He says to them, you can give them something to eat. How would you feel about that? We know there's about 5,000 men, which means there's probably about 10,000 people total, at least, if not more. You give them something. And what? <laughs> oh, sure, no problem, Jesus. 
They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. And we learned from the other gospel accounts, from John's gospel specifically, that they were barley loaves, the food of the poor. Uh, we found out in, from John's gospel that it was Andrew who found a small boy, so it wasn't even their food. There was a small boy that had the five loaves and the two fish. Uh, and it was Andrew who found the small boy. And, and we learned uh, also from those other gospel accounts that it was Philip who pointed out at this point, um, Lord, I figured this is probably the, the Dave Snook of the group. Uh, he said, "He said, Lord, 200 denarii wouldn't be enough, right? You know, like, because he would know. This is how much we, well, I did a quick analysis. This is how many people we got, so much food we need, 200 denarii. 200 denarii, Lord, I could buy enough food for all these people, right? And maybe, he's, maybe he knows. We only have 200 denarii. I don't know. But he wants them to do this. And he said to his disciples, well, have them sit in groups of about 50 each. So the disciples disperse. Jesus is done teaching for a little bit. See the disciples going out, hey, the master of the Lord wants to sit you down. Jesus wants you guys to sit down in groups of about 50. So they're getting everybody situated. They did so. Had them all sit down. So like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, they have no idea. No clue. We know because we've heard the story. Right? Who knows what's going to happen? Right? Down to the little ones, right? You know what's going to happen. You know, we know what's going to happen. Try to pretend like you don't. Can you pretend that you don't know what's going to happen? Everybody's sitting down. You're thinking, what are we going to do? Is this a way to just like inform everybody they need to make it out of here quickly in groups of 50? Is that what we're doing? And Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, says a blessing. At this point, you would still be very much like, What's happening? <laughs> I'm just trying to picture all these people, and Jesus gets the five loaves and the two fish out, and he goes, let's pray. Now, I know how that would go over at a family event. If, if I came home, and we were having a Thanksgiving meal, and I showed up with a, a two-cheeseburger value meal, and I went, all right, guys, let's pray. You guys would be like, pray for yourself, is what you'd probably say. Amen. See, I know. Come on. But that's, that's what he does. He's trying to enter into. You imagine, you imagine he prays for the spoons. He says a blessing that he breaks the loaves. And at this point, I wish Luke or, I mean, in fact, all four gospel writers, this is one of the few stories, I think, in fact, I think this is the only miracle story that all four gospel writers share. And this, this had an impact. I wish one of them would have given me a little bit more information. At what point. First of all, I want to know, at what point did they realize something miraculous was happening? Was it here? I mean, he starts breaking the loaves, and I'm guessing dividing up the fish. Did he was, was he filleting them? I don't know what he was doing. But he's, and he starts handing out. At some point, one of them had to go, hold up. <laughs> I've got five fish heads in here. <laughs> You know, but I know we started out with two fish, and I've got way more than two fish worth of fins in my basket right now. What is going on? And there's seven heels of bread, so, you know, what's happening? I mean, at some point, and did it happen as he was, then I want to know, did it happen as he was breaking it? Did he, like, break off a piece and put it in, and then, like, when he went to grab, it was the same size? How, what did this miracle look like? I want to know so bad. <laughs> what it looked like. 
Or was it like, I always picture a lot of Jesus America as somewhat deceptive. Like, you could, even if you're trying to watch, you did, you'd never actually see something happening. But the end result is like, all of a sudden you have all these baskets of bread and you're distributing it. And everybody's eating. You know, there's some weird people out there that try to come up with some alternative explanations for this. One, one of them, the most ridiculous one, one of them is that maybe it was a symbolic, you, you know how like when we get our, our little communion bread, like this, some people said that there's actually people like, that's what he did. Oh, come on. Like everybody had like one little, you know, that, there's problems there because we're going to see that they're all satisfied in just a minute. None of you are satisfied when we eat that communion bread, are you? Some of it, most of you are like, why do I have some more? <laughs> Got some good taste of communion bread, thanks to my mom, right? She makes, she makes some good bread. I was a little kid afterwards, like, why do I have some more, sir? Would you be satisfied with that? No. And so here you got that he's doing this thing. Now, let me go back. Do you remember the prophecy from Deuteronomy that Moses said? There would be a prophet like who? Like me, like Moses. What was one of the things that Moses, a miraculous thing that Moses was connected with as far as the children of Israel in, in the wilderness? Manna. Giving bread. In fact, the, the, the birds as well. Remember, he brings the one of meat to get. What, what's Jesus doing right now? Right? So all the end times theorists were like, ooh, it's a prophet like Moses. Maybe that's who this is. He's, I mean, he just, I mean, they would have to know he's doing the bread thing. This is like that. I didn't say, think this is how he was going to do it, but this is clearly something, there was something miraculous happening and people were being Satisfied, and that's what it says next. They all ate. All of them ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. 12 baskets of food afterwards. After all those people had eaten. Miraculous. How in the world? It's a lot, isn't it? You know, it's a lot of heels, a lot of fish heads. Right? Did all of the fish heads look like the original fish? <laughs> was he miraculously getting other fish from the sea and they just couldn't see it? Like, was he just like transporting them over there? Or were they like duplicating the fish? Were they genetically the same fish? I, I have no idea. Yeah. It's a miracle. At some point, even if all the people didn't get it, because they may, not everybody may have noticed it, but those disciples would have known that's a miracle. He created food. That just happened in front of us. Lots of other little ideas there with those 12 disciples. A lot of people like to pull some little you know, applications in there. I don't think this is an important one, but some people go, oh, it just shows that he can provide, which we can't. There's great things here. You can just on a day-to-day -day basis read these things and you see that even his disciples, there's enough left over for each one of those guys to have, have a basket, right? But the bigger picture here is that Jesus made bread and meat and gave it to people like Moses. Now, we don't know how much time passes between that verse and the next verse, but that story ends. That's all Luke shares from it. The other gospel writers have a lot more to add to that, but Luke has a specific purpose he's doing. Who is this? And so Luke goes right to the very next story. He's like, the ball is rolling quick now. 
Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So he finally finds the time to get away. So at some point after all of that happened, he finds time to get away. And he's praying alone, but the disciples are there with him. And he stops his praying and he looks at them. He says, who do the crowds say that I am? So now he's going to bring it. Let's, let's get right to it. What are some things that Jesus has done before this question? Some of them I've mentioned, okay? So we could say he's he just created bread and meat. Uh, he calmed a storm. What are some other things that he's done? Just think back over the course of Luke. What are some other things he's done? Healed a man with demons. Yeah, the, the man that was demon-possessed with the legion of demons healed him. Brought, brought a young girl back to life. Jairus' daughter, what else? <laughs> healed, healed that woman, right? That was real recent. Lazarus. Lazarus hasn't happened yet. But there was another guy, remember the, the widow had the, the said he was up on the funeral beer and they were carrying out, remember that one? And he, he stopped. Remember that? Dead, alive. He's resurrecting people. The healing, oh yeah, the, the, the unclean man, right? Remember they lowered him down. He said he, first he said what? He said something else. Before he healed him of his leprosy, what did he say to him? My son, your sins are forgiven. He's forgiven people of their sins. And so Jesus, I think, in this moment, this is why this becomes a turning point in the entire gospel. We're right there. He looks at his disciples and he says, now who do you, he starts off, and says, what the masses, who do they say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answer. The crowds are saying similar things that from the top, from Herod at the top all the way to the bottom, Nobody's quite sure. The crowd are saying the same thing that Herod's thinking. Maybe it's John the Baptist, raised from the dead, right? Others say Elijah. Why would they say that? Because I mean, they, they, they know their Bibles. They know the, the story. This is what it's supposed to look like. Elijah's going to come before. That's what it says. Before, before the final day, Elijah comes, right? Uh, some, so maybe you're Elijah. Others, others are one of the prophets of old, and, and I can't help but think that. They're sure they're like, I can't help but think that. That's what I mean. The people that figured out, oh, he just made bread. Maybe it's like Mo, prophet like Moses. That's a lot like Moses. And then he says to them, "What about you? Who do you say that I am?" And already I can, I can feel the weight of that because this is really question that we all must answer about this person. Who are you? Who is he? Who is he? Now Peter answers, and he says something interesting here. He says the Christ of God, the anointed one of God. Right? Christ, the anointed one of God. Not Elijah, not a prophet come back, not you're the Christ. God. Now, this is the second thing that we're going to have to deal with because something really odd is getting ready to happen. Okay? Not only do you have to answer the question, who is Jesus? But then you have to answer the question, do you even know what your answer means? Because if you say Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is Christ, he's, you know, by most people in America, I could walk up to him and say, Who's Jesus? And they'd say, that guy that died on the cross, or he's the Lord, or, you know, they, they have all kinds of answers, but you, you know what those things mean. 
I think you're going to see the disciples here may not quite understand even what they're saying. Now, Peter, everybody loves Peter. He, as he is often, is the spokesperson for the group. Right? He doesn't have any problem. He's the, he's the one in the group, and I'm not belittling him whatsoever, but he's the one in the group that everybody, I, I, was, I would have been the disciples like, Christ of God. Now we know from Matthew's account that there's more to this story again that goes on because we know in Matthew's account he says, he actually tells Peter, he says, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that's his full name, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you didn't figure this out, Peter. God, the Father himself, has revealed this to you. That's a, an amazing way to say, you're right. So Peter's right. He is. He's the Christ of God. But now, what does Peter mean when he says that? Let's go back. I'm going to share just three. There's so many that I could. I want to share just three passages from the Old Testament that have to do with Christ, the Christ, the anointed one. One of the realities goes all the way back to King David. Have you guys heard of King David? Raise your hand up if you've heard of King David. King David, when it, I, mean, I mean, even this, I mean, think about it. Uh, we've, even here we are, thousands of years later, we've heard of this king. David was a great king. He was, he was the king that people look, look at. And all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, when a king was good, they said he was like David. Right? When he was good, he was like David. David was a good king. wasn't perfect. He was a good king. David, near the end of his uh, getting close to the end of his life, there came a point where he had settled the land, everything was looking good, and he said, I'm going to build the Lord a house. Because he's been in a tent, and here I am in this, this you know, building. I'm going to build the Lord a house. The Lord comes to David in a dream and basically says, you're not going to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. Right? Now, part of it is to say that King Solomon is actually the one that's going to build the temple, but God starts talking about something bigger. You're not going to build me a house, David. I'm going to build a house out of you. Listen to this prophecy. Second Samuel, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. He's talking to David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. This is Nathan, the prophet, that's actually speaking to David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name some of this is fulfilled in Solomon but listen to this last little tidbit and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever so there's coming to somebody else from you that will be a king forever king Anointed one. Let's jump ahead. In Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read some of it. Then I'll put part of it up there. Isaiah chapter 11 starting with verse 1. Uh, it says there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? David's father. Right? So there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So from that same lineage. Right? And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. I'll get to the part that I want you to see in just a second. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, 
And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. And it says this. So this king that's coming, this anointed one that's coming, will do this. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now some of you are getting excited about this. Like, yeah. <laughs> Righteousness shall be the, uh, the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This sounds like a conquering king, does it not? So when the anointed one comes from David, this is what they're expecting. And if I tried to tell them differently, they would say, don't you believe the Bible? See what I'm saying? This wasn't just some loosely held idea. This is right there. There it is. He's going to do what he's going to do. Psalm chapter 2. Speaking again. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me. They will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and he perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So here, they're like, we've got it, Jesus. You're the anointed one of God. Now, were the Jews being ruled by the Romans at this time? Mm -hmm. So what's one of the things that, if you knew these passages, what's one of the things that as soon as you start figuring out who this Christ is, what was one of the things that you'd go, this has got to be one of the first things he's probably going to do? Is what? Set up a new government. Because the one they had was corrupt. And some of you are going, we know the people. <laughs> right? Amen. Amen. Right? This, he's gonna, this is what he's going to do. He's going to make this rod. I mean, you'd probably love. I mean, if they had these kinds of things, they'd be like, you know, their Jesus t-shirts would be like rod of iron. Right? <laughs> he's coming with a rod of iron. Here they come. He's coming. And so they're, they've been watching. They're like maybe hoping. Yes. And so when they say, he says, who do you say that I am? And they, and they go, some say this, some say this, some say this. And they go, the, who, do you say, who do you? And they go, the anointed one, the Christ is anointed, the anointed one of God. And he says, bingo. I bet they're like, oh, boy. This is going to get good. I mean, there's Roman soldiers that have been walking around with all their weight, like, oh yeah, you have to do what we said. Oh man, I can't wait. He's just getting ready. In fact, I bet, I bet you anything, we're going to be generals <laughs> in his army. Right? And we're going to see a little bit of that shine through later. We're coming up, there's a point where some people reject Jesus and they go, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to kill them all? What do you want us to do? That's coming up. They're, they're going to have a hard time with what he says next. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling it? I mean, they strongly have beliefs that when the Messiah comes, 
this is what he's going to do. This is what it's going to look like. And it sure seems like he's the one. And they said, we think you're the one. And he says, you're right. God has revealed this to you. I'm the Christ of God. And it, yes. And then he says this. Here's the charge and command them to tell this to no one. You feel a little twang of like... But I, I'd be okay with this. I'd be like, oh, yeah, right, right, Jesus. What? We've got to wait till the time. And you're right. We've got to get some more forces together. We've got to get some people. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go get them. Right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I just imagine tell, Jesus saying, you're right. Don't tell anybody yet. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha, Jesus. <laughs> Here we go. Don't tell us all. No problem. Because you're still thinking in your head. Because eventually we're going to, right, Jesus? All right. <laughs> Listen to what he says next. And, and, and try to, with your imaginations, try to set aside what you know and experience how they would have heard this. Don't go tell anybody. And then he says this. The Son of Man must suffer many things be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed. On the third day, be raised. Does this fit with what their understanding what Messiah coming looked like? So what, do you think they're going to, do you think they're in this moment going to go, oh, we got, we were confused. Now we get it. Is that what they're going to do? No. They're not. And much of what you see through here is going to be all about that. Now, see, we know, we look back at those Old Testament passages, there's some passages we go, obviously, that's what this was talking about, obviously here. In fact, but you know what? Jesus does not do that with them until after the resurrection. And we get these accounts of Jesus walking with them. One in particular is walking on the road to Emmaus because he goes the whole Old Testament, explains to them how it was all looking, pointing to this. And then all the light bulbs are coming on. But he doesn't do that yet. Right now he just goes... This is what's going to happen. This is the first time he's told them this. How would you feel if all of your expectations suddenly just got... <clears throat> Some of you guys know exactly what that's like. On a smaller degree, but maybe you had expectations about what your life, where, what it was going to look like. What, what your family was going to look like. What these things were going to look like. What this was going to look like. All these things setting up, and you were building up, and, and Jesus for you became like the little missing part. He was like the glue that would hold your little kingdom together, and then sometimes it just goes. Now we know what Jesus ends up doing is by far better than setting up an earthly kingdom 2,000 years ago. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? What hope would any of us really have if this one anointed one hadn't taken on the, the, the burden of all of our sin and died rejected by men and by God? If he hadn't experienced that shame, what hope would a single one of us have? But he did that for us so that we don't have to do that. Now, this stuff is still here. Those Old Testament passages are still there. Is he still going to do those things? Absolutely. 
I'm going to tell you right now, though, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to adjust my views because nobody knew how it was going to happen the first time. But he's coming. But in a much smaller way, I want to encourage you to start thinking this way. Like, first off, just enter into the disciples' reality. What an earth-jarring statement this would have been for them. I'm convinced, and I know this from as we continue to read the text, I'm convinced they, they did not get it. In fact, there's other places where he, say, he when he keeps saying it, there's eventually where Peter goes, stop saying that. Stop saying it, Lord. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That'd be hard to hear. But Peter was genuinely like, what? He had a vision for what God's kingdom was going to look like. And Jesus was knocking it out of the water. But what Jesus was going to bring was way better. There's a, that small application for you on a day-to-day -day basis. If you've looked at what, man, I was doing this with my life, I was doing this with my life, and there, your sovereign God has allowed your little house of cards to be demolished, I can tell you right now, don't give up hope, because whatever he's doing is better. And you will look back on it, if not, and I'm, I hate to say this, but if not in this life, that's hard, because some of us can get on board with that kind of like Jesus is in control stuff, as long as he still gives us something good here. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not always how it works. That's not always how it works. If it doesn't happen here, there will be a future kingdom that you will look back on, and you will look back on what God did in your life, and you'll go. God, you're glorious in all that you do. I'm going to end on this note. Because when we come back to it, I know next week we're looking at Joshua, but when we come back to this, the very next thing he says to them is going to be just as difficult of a challenge. I'll give you a hint. It starts with verse 23. Don't look good. Chapter 9. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You've got Bibles. Come on. Look, at it. Look, look and see what he says next. Start preparing your mind. When you read through Luke, start thinking about how would this have been for those guys hearing this? How would they have experienced that? I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to pray for a couple things. Um, <clears throat> one, I'm going to pray for each one of you, whatever situation you got going on in your life. I know that for myself, I, I was building up a little bit of hope that we would see Steve Simpkins again here. Um, I know we, we said it earlier, he's healed. Right? It wasn't the healing that I was hoping for, but this is the one that God chose, and I'm sure that Steve has no problem with it. Right? Whatever it is you're going through, so I'm going to pray, Lord, whatever, whatever it is, whatever thing that you're like, and maybe you're in the middle of the demolished heart, right? The house of cards just came tumbling down. Maybe you're in the part where God has started to reveal to you the much better thing that he's going to do. Maybe you're in the part where you're still looking at your little house of cards going, this is beautiful. Your life might be going so smooth right now. I have no idea what's coming up. I'm going to pray for you as well that if God destroys that little kingdom you've built up, that you'll be ready to 
let go and accept what he's got prepared for you. Right? So I want to pray for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, that Steve Simpkins is in your presence right now. Lord, uh, I have no doubt that he is. I know that he was faithful to you. He believed heart and soul. Lord, I know he didn't always. But I know that once he came to that understanding of the truth and put his faith and his hope in who you are, it was everything to him. Lord, I know that in his quietness, he just remained faithful all these years. I know the, the work that he did. I know the, the times he, he would share trying to reach out to others, and nobody even knew about it, Lord, but I know that you saw every single thing. Lord, I believe he's standing in your presence, hearing that well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I thank you that you have done that for him. I thank you that you went to a cross 2,000 years ago to make that possible. I thank you that you didn't just kick out the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom because what good would that do for us for eternity? None. But Lord, you did a much greater work, a much more glorious work, one that we just, our jaws drop in awe at your plan. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in whatever stage we're in in our lives, Lord, as you Reveal your hand to us that we would accept it with humble obedience, with patience, with our eyes set on another kingdom beyond this world. Help us to trust you every step of the way. I pray that you help us to believe and hear these words. I pray for those in this room that have heard these things and heard these stories, but they've never come to that point in their lives where they're all in, they're like, Lord, I'm gonna, you are the Christ of God, and what you did was glorious and great, and I put every ounce of my hope and my trust in that reality of who you are for me. Lord, I pray that you'd help those in this room that have never come to that point, that today may be the day that you would break down those walls of resistance or of confusion or of uh, stubbornness, Lord. I pray that you'd break those things down and have them humbly submit to the, the great glory of a Savior who died to save them. Let today be that day. Lord, in all these things I ask that you would bring us together again next week, if it be your will. Lord, we know that you're coming again. I don't know when. I don't know if it's a long time from now. I don't know if it's soon. I don't know if it's in the next moment. Lord, I simply ask that you would help us all to be ready. Just be ready. 